Let's dive into God's word today. Y'all ready? All right, go with me to our main text today, Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us, let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us looking away from all that will distract us and there's so much out there that distracts us and focusing our eyes on Jesus everybody say focus our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of faith the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. God, you're amazing. Today, I want to talk to you from the topic, shed the shame. It's time to shed the shame. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to shed the shame. Turn to the other neighbor and say, you ready to shed some, shed some shame? That's a tongue twister. <laughs> Good gracious. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We honor it. We ask that you would just help this word take root in our hearts. And as the days go forth, God, that this uh, word that you put in our hearts today, that it would bear fruit that radically changes our lives and those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much, guys. Oh my gosh, so this room is full of different people. All of us, different shapes, sizes, hair colors, backgrounds, experiences, super diverse crowd. And those watching online from all over the world, people follow Union Church. So. I know you're watching. We all come up from different places, but there's one thing we all can say we experience together, and it's the emotion of shame. All of us, at one point in our lives, if you are living and breathing, you have experienced shame. All of us experience this very normal human emotion, but we don't know a whole lot about shame. We just know this one statement, shame on you. Y'all ever heard it? You've said it to your kids, be honest. I know I, y'all, get, let's get honest. I've said shame on you to my kids. I remember my parents saying shame on you to me. Like I would steal candy. I was notorious for stealing candy. I have had like a really bad sweet tooth growing up. So I would be in my sister's purses. I would be lying about it, like stealing money. So that I could go run to the grocery store and get myself candy. It was really bad. I had an issue. I still have a sweet tooth issue, but I don't steal it anywhere I can pay for it. But my parents would be like, shame on you. And then like my daughter recently, um, well, a couple years ago, she uh, took her driver's ed test and then she failed the driving exam. She felt shame. She was like, mom, don't tell anybody. I remember feeling shame when I was in college and uh, I'd be out late at night and end up 
in someone else's uh, dorm that I didn't need to be in, and you are walking, and I know somebody in here might identify with me, walking across campus in the walk of shame, and I know y'all know what I'm talking about. So don't act like it's, you know, you're too holy and it's just me. Our shame has a history, y'all. All of us have dealt with shame. There are people in this room who have been to prison. You made bad choices, got locked up, DUI. Don't tell anybody. Nobody can find out about this. Your families are really good at secret keeping. We hide shame. We're so good at that. Super easy. What's hard is if we say it out loud. Yeah. Someone, you know, in your family may be have an addiction and you feel shame about that person. You don't tell people. In fact, you shame them when they drink too much. You shame them when you catch them watching porn. You put shame on them when they fail a test. Yeah. Let's be honest. We all either put shame on ourselves and verbally abuse ourselves, tell ourselves we are not enough, you are too broken that you can't be fixed. All of us experience shame in one way, shape, or, not, or another. There are people in this room who may be struggling currently with an addiction, people watching online, and you're full of shame because you keep relapsing. You keep doing what you said you were going to stop doing. I don't know what it is you may be struggling with. Maybe you're being cyber bullied and someone's shaming you online and it's going viral. But these are real shameful events that we carry. And it's heavy. It's agonizingly heavy. It's excruciating sometimes. It's so heavy, I can feel it in this room. Did you know that shame is the most powerful emotion? Because it actually signals our limbic system to send our brains get sent into fight, flight, or freeze when we experience the emotion of shame. We can't, if we're walking around in shame, that means we're in fight, flight, or freeze all the time. That means our nervous systems are on 100 all the time. We were not created to walk around in fight, flight, or freeze all the time. So then guess what happens? We look for something to medicate. And then we're, we, we don't want anybody to know about that thing, so we hide it. Then we look, we reach for it again, and before you know it, we're stuck in addiction. Shame is powerful. Definition of shame is a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. It's a painful feeling. It like hurts on the inside. You feel shame in your gut. I have learned to know when I feel shame, I know where it is at. It, I can feel it in my gut. I identify it there. It's inward. It's full of self-hate. You tell yourself 
I am bad. It's, it, shame attacks the essence of who we believe we are as a human being. We are overly harsh and critical with ourselves when we're dealing with shame. We feel worthless, rejected, and again, too far gone to be fixed. Shame is the biggest enemy of loving yourself. It attacks our self-esteem. See, there's all the emotions. God created emotions. They're all uh, useful. They have a purpose. So when you experience an emotion, it's a signal to tell you you're supposed to do something. So guilt says you did something wrong. I felt feel guilty. So I will go and I will apologize for what I did wrong, right? Make amends, you say I'm sorry, and you keep it moving because there is, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said we are not guilty. He paid the price for us that's worth celebrating. Yeah, he paid the ultimate price for our sin. So when we say I'm sorry, God, I forgive me, we are forgiven. I did something bad. Shame says I am bad. Something is so broken, it, you can't fix it or repair it. And it robs us of experience God, experiencing God's presence and his grace. Like Adam and Eve, the minute they sinned, they hid. And then they were disconnected from God, had to get, you know, the fig leaves and all the, had to get clothes. They were naked and free. And then they had to wear clothes. Like, Sin separates us from God. And the enemy knows what he's doing. He wants us disconnected. So if I can shame them and get them to live in shame, then you will be disconnected with God. I don't know about you, but I remember coming to church to worship and I'm looking around and I'm like, why can't I have what they have, that freedom? They don't care what anybody thinks. They have no shame about raising their hands. The pastor doesn't have to beg them to lift their hands in worship because they have shed some shame and they know they are forgiven because whom the son sets free is free indeed. And he died on the cross so we could shed the shame. Shame causes us to hide and isolate. We cover up. Turn to your neighbor and say, what are you covering up right now? Turn to your other neighbor and say, is there something, go ahead, in your life that you're shameful about that's holding you back from being the best version of yourself? Hmm. See, shame makes us hide so it's hard to be honest we don't want to be honest when we're dealing with covering up and hiding we're getting busy and we're hiding in our busyness we're hiding and covering up in our addiction by medicating right then you know we're uh watching tv we're uh, uh medicating with like um being on social media so we can check out and not be present with ourselves because it's too painful so we cover and we hide in perfectionism, workaholism, overeating. Hey, overcompensate with our anger. 
because it's really to cover up the shame we feel about ourselves. Hmm. Shame is heavy. Shame is heavy. It's like having a backpack. You're born. You get a backpack. Your parents are taking care of you. But then at a certain point, actually, no, while you're in your mother's womb, things get transferred. So you can actually be transferred shame through the womb. That was my story. My mom was experiencing a lot of shame during um, the time that she was carrying me. And it was transferred. I was born into shame. And all through life, picture all of us having a backpack. We put a brick in there for the shame that, or, you know, maybe your parent was in an addiction, experiencing divorce. Maybe you were born from rape. Maybe you were born from incest. Maybe you were born from some terrible, abusive situation. You got those bricks in your weight, in your backpack. Then you get to be um, a teenager. Your parents get divorced. You dropped out of school. You got fired from your job. Then you get married and you beat somebody else and you add their bricks in with yours. Dear God in heaven, now you married and you got a whole bunch of bricks. We weren't meant to carry all of that. It's too heavy. Where are my union athletics folks, my track and field folks out there? Can you imagine running a race with all that weight on you? Impossible. And the context of this scripture tells us we weren't meant to carry that weight. We've got to shed the shame. And it starts with us acknowledging our stories because shame has a backstory. All of us have a story full of shame. We've never told anybody and our backpack is full. But let me tell you something. Shame may have a backstory, but it's not the whole story. Shame is not the whole story because I was leading a growing, thriving church in 2015. And I began to think to myself, if anybody knew what was really going on inside of me, that I may have three kids, a marriage, the white picket fence, I may look all great on the outside, but if anybody knew what I felt about myself, if anybody knew how insecure I was, if anybody knew that I was medicating all my pain from sexual abuse from my past, from dysfunction in my marriage with alcohol, then they would know and see the real me and maybe they'd reject me. And what I feel about myself would be true. So I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to hide. And as I hid... Little did I know that that medicating with alcohol on Friday night to come down off the week, because I deserve it for my hard week at work, turned into another bottle, turned into two bottles a night. Then I had to add some vodka because that wasn't enough. My dependency increased. I started isolating myself from people because I felt shame. Then I would hide some more when Jimmy and I would argue about how much I was drinking. Then it was vodka and water bottles, and my dependency increased, increased, increased. Jimmy gave me an ultimatum. Pastor, mother, ends up in rehab. Having my shoelaces taken off of my shoes, rock bottom, humiliation, shame. They literally diagnosed me. It's written in my medical file. Toxic shame. 
I didn't know it was a thing. Shame affects you neurologically. It affects you chemically in your brain. Shame, remember I said fight, flight, or freeze. That thing that happened in my past was so bad I didn't want to tell anybody about. So I drank at it and got addicted. I got depressed, anxious, so I had to drink some more. Do you see the vicious cycle? Addictive cycle that started with shame? Saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, loved the Lord, and it happened to me. None of us are exempt. We've got to be alert, church. So rock bottom, here I am in rehab. (laughs) I don't want people to find out. I'm doing everything I can to hide it. Suicidal ideations. How could this happen to me? Shame had me in a really bad place. And if we look at the context of this scripture, Hebrews 12, the author is speaking to Christians. So I'm speaking to you this morning. He's speaking to Christians, people with the understanding of faith. That's you all. You came to church. He says, learn from these testimonies and stories of the heroes that went before you. This is the cloud of witnesses. I'm here because you're supposed to learn from my story. <laughs> learn from my pain, y'all, so you don't have to go through what I went through. Today is a day the Holy Spirit is shining a light, not on me, but using my story to shine a light on something in your life. Something that could be so destructive and insidious and sneaky that you don't see it coming. The author instructs them to lay down the weight of sin. It's, what did it say? That it so easily entangles us. And it says to lay everything down that's holding you back from effectively running the race God has for you. God has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for your shame. Remember, he created emotions for a reason. But this weight has to be acknowledged. You've got to acknowledge, what are you carrying so you can unpack it? Say it's time to unpack it. We can't carry around all this weight of shame. That's why I wrote a book. Because that is me punching shame in the face. That is me reframing my shame. That is me unpacked, like sharing with the world that you can be free. Like you can unpack. Like I didn't even know you could or should uh, unpack your emotional baggage from your past. So it doesn't overwhelm you and try to take you out. I didn't know. But now, today, on July 3rd, I can stand before you and say, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. I am six years, seven months, and 21 days sober. To God be the glory for what he has done in my life. Without him, I would not be here. I would not be sober. I would not be alive. Because the claws of addiction had hijacked my brain. I could not stop. My father-in-law between services reminded me, he took me out to lunch and said, Rini, that's his affectionate name for me. You've got to stop drinking, honey. 
And I'm like, yeah, I know I want to. But I was so ashamed. I couldn't tell him that I couldn't. I couldn't. 38 days in rehab. 38 days before I finally said, my name is Irene, and I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. Because there was a cloud of witnesses there, some brave soldiers who were there to work and admit they had an issue so they could get over it and deal with the shame. Yep. Jesus is the example, the great prototype of shedding shame. He is our example. And I love him for that. He shows us all throughout the word how to shed shame. And we're going to focus on this scripture in Hebrews 12. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write down these three things. Jesus' example of how to shed shame. Number one, we have to make Jesus our focus. Everybody say, Jesus is our focus. So in order to shed shame, we've got to focus on Jesus. It says focusing our eyes on Jesus. Another version says looking unto Jesus. When we focus on Jesus, it's the first application of us making a decision to to, um, activate our faith. So remember, we have this thing called free will. You get to decide if you're going to have faith in Jesus. He's always there. God is always there, but he's, he, you know, he's waiting for you to open the door, but he can't force you to surrender your life to him. He can't force you to have faith. He can't force you to have faith enough to shed your shame. So when we look to Jesus and we take our eyes off of us, we're saying this great author and finisher of our faith, this great almighty sovereign, holy God is who has the ability and the strength to take care of all the stuff going on inside of me, not me. I'm taking the attention off of me and I'm focusing it on Jesus. And here's the thing about addiction that sucks, y'all. Can I be real? Like, I feel like I'm having a conversation with my people. Is is it okay? I'm sorry. I hope I'm not offending you by saying the word sucks, but it does. The thing about addiction that sucks is when it, once your brain is hijacked and you can't think for yourself. So someone out there who's struggling with a family member or loved one in an addiction, and you're like, oh my gosh, why won't they just stop? It's not personal towards you. If they're in the addiction, their brain has been hijacked. They can't stop without help and the power of Christ. So here's the deal. We're focusing on Jesus, but this addiction makes us selfish. It's such a selfish disease. When I got to rehab, I was focused on me. I'm in pain. And then I'd point a finger at Jimmy and say, it's all his fault. He drives me to drink. He makes me mad. All those people at church who betrayed me, talked about me, hurt my family, when all I did was want to serve them. Yeah, I drank at that. My focus was on me, 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 me. And when I began to, I hit rock bottom. I thank God for rock bottom because that was the foundation of what God built the rest of my life on. So I really hope you find your rock bottom. I hope your bottom comes up to you. In fact, I pray in Jesus' name, by the authority of the name of Jesus, God, that you would bring things to the surface for all the listeners, all the people in this room, that we might deal with our shame before our shame deals with us.
May the bottom come up to you so you don't have to be found out and blasted all over the internet and experience even more shame. But I remember being in that rehab and there are people that were there and I was like, I'm not, okay, um, you took my shoelaces, I'm full of shame, this can't be happening to me, I'm miserable, I'm crying, I'm crying out to God, like how could you leave me, you've forsaken me, like all of that type of language. And I'll never forget going into the room and I'm like, okay, God, first of all, there were doctors, nurses, all these ladies in there, like from all walks of life, the stay-at-home mom. So I started to feel like, ooh, I'm not alone. But I'm a pastor. That's even more shameful. I'm supposed to know better. So I go in this room and I'm like, God, can you speak to me? Because being drunk every night, because I was a functional alcoholic, went to work, did all that stuff, but I blacked out at night. I remember literally looking at the Bible and saying, God, speak to me. You ever do that where you throw open the Bible and you're like, God, can you just say something to me (laughs) through your word? (laughs) Well, I flipped on to Psalm 27 and he began to give, share his promises to me through his word that said, be just wait on me and be courageous. He encouraged me that I would experience joy in the land of the living. I began to say that over myself. And I began to read it and read it, and my faith was activated. Then suddenly it was like no weapon formed against you would prosper. Stuff to start it that I already knew started coming up again in my spirit. And the Holy Spirit would remind me of his promises. My faith was activated. Romans 8, 28, you're going to use all this yuck in my life around, and you're going to turn it around for good. You promised that. You said you're not going to leave me or forsake me. You said that you're going to be with me in the valley of the shadow of death, and I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. So I know you must be close to me, Jesus, because you're close to the brokenhearted, your word says. My focus shifted from me to the king, from me to the one who could save me, from me to Jesus. I had a choice in that moment. You have a choice right now. Are you going to walk by faith? And not by sight, not by what you see around you, not by what you're feeling, but what we know in the word of God. Because Psalm 34, 4 through 5 says, I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. I want to declare over you today that God promises radiance and joy over you. He's going to set you free from all your fears. And you can become shame resilient. You can become shame resilient if you look to the one who can change everything when shame attacks. Because shame's going to attack. You just got to know who to look to. Not the bottle of alcohol, not the porn, not scrolling on Insta, not calling that ex a quick booty call like no it's going to be looking to Jesus when we focus on Jesus what we looked at as shameful begins to change I was at a church last two weeks ago where I got on stage and I said yeah my in my past I I was promiscuous that means I didn't have any self-worth I felt a lot of shame about myself 
Before I knew Jesus, I had, you know, um, multiple sex partners. Somebody came up to me after church and was like, I've never heard of that word. You mean people can say that out loud and not feel shame and get forgiven and get free? Yeah. Yeah. You can. And let me tell you, 23 years ago on my marriage uh, night, I gave myself to my husband and God renewed my virginity and we had something so special that night. So when shame tries to tell you, young lady or young man, that, oh, you've already been there, done that, God can restore that too. And he can redeem it and make it brand new. Focus on Jesus. Number two, Jesus is our finisher. Everybody say finisher. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the great example. He's writing your story. He's writing mine. If you're alive and breathing, he is not done writing your story. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. That's how big he is. He's amazing and sovereign and holy. He who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He doesn't lie. His, rule, his word can't return void. So he started a work in you. You may mess up. You may relapse. You may make another mistake. Guess what? You're human. Be gentle with yourself. Get up. Repent. Shake the dust off your feet. And try again. Don't listen to the enemy, the father of lies, who's trying to tell you, you know what? You're never going to change. It's a lie. We get to be a part of rewriting our story. We get to be a part of the edits. Are you going to choose to allow the healer to have the pen, though? That means he's in control. The pen is in the hand of the healer. We get to be a part of rewriting the story, though. We have this thing called free will. So what are you going to choose today? What are you going to choose to do when shame attacks? I failed at it because when I went to rehab, I learned all about shame and how it's toxic and how it affects your mental health and all of those things how it affects you relationally and causes you to hide. You become disconnected, lonely, suicidal, all of those things. I get on the plane, and I'm on Christmas Eve headed home to be with my family. And I text my brothers and sisters, and I say, don't tell anybody I went to rehab. Tell them I went to trauma treatment, (laughs) which was true. It was, you know, so I wasn't telling the whole truth. Y'all know about that. See, because my treatment center specialized in trauma. They were dual diagnosis. They deal deal with um, the trauma. So I went and dealt with my PTSD and my trauma, the the reasons why I drank in the first place. You got to get to the root issue. So I recommend that for anybody. Because literally people went to detox and ended up at my treatment center because you detoxed, you got home, and you relapsed again. Why? Because you didn't take care of the root issue. And then they're full of shame and they're suicidal again. It's like a vicious cycle. So I'm on the phone. I'm like texting them. Don't tell anybody I went to rehab. Just tell them I went to trauma treatment. I failed. But you know what? I got back up again. Two years and three months later, I shared with our church 
that I was a recovering alcoholic and that I had been doing the work to get free. And I will never forget the church getting up and cheering and having such empathy and me too moments. I realized I'm not alone. I got scars just like everybody else. You just couldn't see them. I want to encourage you with Isaiah 61, 7. Instead of your former shame, you will have a double portion. Everybody say double portion. portion. A double portion. And instead of humiliation, your people will shout for joy over your portion. And that's what you guys did when you, even when you celebrate me and my sobriety. We're normalizing kicking shame in the face. Do you realize we're me? I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that. Like, I get to be a part of a move of God where we normalize talking about our crap and that there's a savior that helps us dig it up and get rid of it once and for all. Like, I get to be a part of serving a God that says he casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. He forgets it. It's the devil that keeps reminding us of his lies. But we are free. We've got to know what to do when shame attacks. We've got to look to Jesus. Because that double portion is ours. It says, and instead of humiliation, your people will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, in their land, they will possess double, double again for what they had for double what they had forfeited. I may have given up alcohol, thought I was losing something. My best friend. Yeah, that's me. That's what I felt. I felt like I was giving up something that I loved and I was, but I was giving it up for something I loved more. And that's my husband, and that's my children, and that's my God. And it says everlasting joy will be theirs. And that's what I'm here to tell you guys. I'm living in the double portion of intimacy with my husband. I'm living in the double portion of intimacy with my God. Because I exchanged my shame For a double portion. So are you willing to recognize your shame? Look at it. Yeah, that happened. You lost your job. You got a demotion. Stop denying it. Just say it. It loses its power. Someone touched you inappropriately. Someone abused you. Somebody called you out of your name. Somebody cheated on you. You cheated on your spouse. I know you're in this room. Stop shaming yourself. There's a double portion on the other side of getting in counseling and surrendering that thing. Confess your sins to God that you may be forgiven and confess your sins to others that you may be healed. Yeah. When I confess, my name is Irene and I'm an alcoholic, I'm no longer saying I am, like thinking I am bad. I used to think I am bad when I said that out loud. But what I'm actually saying is I can no longer drink Because if I drink again, I'm going to start off where I left off. I have an addiction. On the other side of you surrendering your trauma, your divorce, your hurts, your hangups, your fears, your habits, there's a double portion for you. Focus on Jesus so we can finish this race, church. And number three, I want to close with this. Jesus reframed our future. He did it 
He proved it to us when it says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He revealed his authority. He had authority while being beaten. He had authority while being bruised, mocked, called names, shamed by people who he thought loved him. Humiliating, painful death. But he did it to complete the work that God had called him to. He said, God said that I will be faithful to complete. And he had everlasting joy for us in his, on his mind. He had everlasting peace. He had everlasting uh, love and salvation. Eternity with him is what we get because he suffered a humiliating death on the cross. Jesus shows us that shame can be endured and reframed into something that strengthens us. Can you believe it? Shame can be reframed into something that can set others free. That's what he did with his work on the cross. Anybody grateful for that? Joseph was thrown in a pit by his brothers. Shame. He was put in prison by his boss, shamed there too. God used him to save the lives of many people. What if we looked at our shame that way and reframed it? What the enemy meant to kill me and destroy me, God is going to turn around and use to save the lives of many people. We can go from, like Joseph, the pit and the prison to purpose. All our stuff, God can turn it around and use it for good if we're willing to surrender it to him and make a decision that we're going to choose to believe the word of God versus the, and the lies of the enemy. We're going to choose not to hide from God, but to show up and say, here I am, God, with all my junk, all my yuck, all the stuff that I've been hiding that I think nobody sees, but I know you see it. Here I am. We can choose to reframe that and not cover it up, but then share it and shame loses its power. We're forgiven and we get set free and healed when we confess it. Y'all, I reframed my shame when I did the work to get free. I went to AA so I could learn in a community of people who identified with me. I didn't have to cover it up anymore. I got to hear their stories and say, oh my gosh, that's how you deal with relapse. That's how you can prevent you know, myself from being a dry drunk, which means someone who has the absence of the substance, but I'm still behaving the way I did when I was under the influence. Emotional unhealth. I learned so much from this great cloud of witnesses about how to shed the shame of being sober. I get to be sober now. I used to think I was missing out. I, I was mad and resentful at all the people around me who could drink normally. I was resentful. I couldn't stand you. I'm like, they suck that they can just drink a margarita and be normal. I can't have one. Why? Because one, th one, one is uh, too many and a thousand isn't enough. 
can never drink again. But I get to be sober. I get to wake up without a hangover. I get to be present with my family. I get to have a relationship with God where I can wake up in the morning and spend time with Him and not be dealing with a hangover. And the shame of it, yeah, I get to reframe my life and use it to serve God's people. So if you want to get free and reframe some shame today, would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. Whatever campus you are even watching online, I want to pray for you. But before we do, I want you to reflect on something. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about what you need to shed, unpack, let go of, what you may be hiding that God wants to reframe for you today. What are you stuffing? What are you numbing? What fears do you have that's holding you back from connection with God and people? Are you in silence and God wants to share you to share your story so that you can break generational curses? But nobody knows about that thing you're struggling with, so nobody knows that they're going to struggle with it too. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts, our souls, and our spirits. We come to you with hands raised in surrender, and we say, God, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for hiding from you. Thank you for loving us past our dysfunction. Thank you for loving us and showing us the way through Jesus. And as we focus on him and we come to you as the author and the finisher and perfecter of our faith, we pray that you would give us the spirit of the finisher to walk out a process of shedding shame and becoming resilient on a regular basis. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the church said, amen. Let's give it up for Jesus who has shown us the way to shed shame. did not want to leave here today without giving an opportunity for someone who doesn't has never like come into relationship with this Jesus that I'm talking about that has set me free that has redeemed my story and all the bad about being an alcoholic is now being used for good to help set others free last month I know of two women who went to rehab in a church I preached at There's a woman in this congregation who is sober several years. Two, is it two? 28 months sober. Yes, she's amazing, my hero. And she is public with her faith. She, God has literally set her free to the point where she's sharing her story on a podcast now. She's like, I'm gonna kick shame in the face. Yeah, I'm gonna tell some other women who are moms, that they don't have to, that doesn't have to happen to them. They can get it before they end up in rehab. Luckily, the bottom came up to her. She showed up in church one Sunday years ago and I was preaching a message. It was her first Sunday here. And she said, if that woman can get up there and say that she's an alcoholic and she's, God's using her still on Sunday morning, then God can use me and look at how God is using you. She is sponsoring people. She's helping people in their journey of recovery and inspiring people. The gift that keeps on giving. I'm so proud of her. 
So I want to give you an opportunity with every eye closed, every head bowed. If you want to come into relationship with this Jesus that has the power to set you free, can I see your hand? Their hands lifted all over this room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, everybody open your eyes. We're shedding shame, right? Do you want to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? With all eyes open, raise your hand. We just shed some shame. Look around, church, and you better clap for Jesus because people are coming into the kingdom of God. Welcome to the family.